five. And uh, would you guys stand with me? I want to read this whole text this morning. It's just so awesome. I thought that we would start by just reading the passage. And uh, so I'm going to start in verse 18. Actually, let's go verse 17. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. For the father loves his son and shows him all, shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. The father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself my testimony is not deemed true. There is another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I received is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. 
But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Let's pray. Lord, what an incredible passage of scripture. I'm just excited to get into it and to consider these things. And Lord, we just, uh, we just come to you in faith this morning. Lord, we believe in the word of God. We believe that the written word of God leads us to the living word of God, a person, Jesus Christ. Jesus, we believe that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. And so God, we pray that you would bring light to us, Lord, that you would enlighten our path, that we would grow in, in understanding and knowledge, Lord, and that we would be transformed, that our hearts would be changed. So Lord, we ask this morning, as we consider your word and these things, that your spirit would speak to our hearts, Lord. We ask that you would give us that spirit of wisdom and revelation that the Apostle Paul prayed for, Lord, that we might know you better. And so, God, we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right on. You can be seated. Great text, eh? I have been looking forward to getting into this one since we were last in John chapter 5. John chapter 5 is just like an awesome chapter. So, let's hit the table and get our bearings again here by just remembering where we've been and where John's taken us and the journey that we've been on. Because this text that we just read this morning... Uh, follows the healing uh, on the Sabbath of a man who had been an invalid for 38 years. And Jesus came to that man at the pools of Bethesda and said to him, do you want to be healed? And then he raised that man up. He told him, get up, take your bed and walk. And so the man did that. He stood up after 38 years, picked up this mat that he'd been laying on and was walking around with this mat. And the day that it happened was on the Sabbath. And it was this event. What John wants us to know is that it was this event that like escalated the whole controversy that was happening between Jesus and the, and the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. And, and Jesus kind of like, you know, I just poke the religious establishment in the eyes here a little bit with this situation. I mean, they were not overly fond of Jesus in the first place. His ministry had grown much larger, larger than that of John the Baptist. We've seen that in John's gospel. And Jesus, knowing that the religious leaders had observed this, John told us, Jesus withdrew to the region of Galilee. There God continued to just bless. Miracles were happening. The message of the gospel was going forth. And Jesus was staying in the backwaters of Galilee. And ministry and influence was exploding but it was only a matter of time that he was going to have to go to Jerusalem and the confrontation was going to happen. And so in the season of the Jewish feast, uh, Jesus made his way to, to Jerusalem. And it was there at that time that he healed this man at the pools of Bethesda who had been an invalid for 38 years. And the religious establishment was ticked. And these religious leaders had two problems with Jesus. Okay, the first is this. They had problems with the things that he did. The first problem was the things that, they did, that he did. And John tells us that they were persecuting Jesus because of the things that he did. And, and so what did he do? What did he do? Well, he did this. He healed a man on a Sabbath. Oh, you did what? You healed a man on a, he healed a man on a Sabbath. But in their minds, he was trampling on their sacred traditions. There were so many traditions on the Sabbath. There were so many rules and regulations surrounding the Sabbath and, and nobody 
Obviously, nobody likes a person or a man who tramples on human tradition. And Jesus told this man, pick up your mat and walk. That was breaking the Sabbath to carry your mat on the Sabbath. And Jesus had instructed him to do that. So he, he ignored the tradition. And when, when they questioned him with regards to that, he put himself above the Sabbath, which was sacrilege in their minds. He was, he was violating that which they considered, considered sacred. And it was like they were the religious leaders. It's like, don't you know who we are? Like when we question you. And Jesus didn't, you know, give honor or respect to those traditions. And so how could he dishonor the Lord by breaking the Sabbath? So for that, these guys hated him. They hated what he did. The second thing is they hated what he said. The things that he said, that that was a problem for him. And John tells us, you know, they they persecuted him because of the things he did. But they wanted to kill him because of the things that he said. When they questioned Jesus about performing a miracle on the Sabbath and instructing this man to carry his mat, Jesus said to them, my father is working until now and I am working. Jesus didn't, it's interesting because Jesus didn't say that the that God works on the Sabbath, so I follow his example. No, he, he says this. He says, my father works right now. My father is working, and so do I. And you know, when we think about the Sabbath, it's true that Sabbath, Sabbath is a time of rest for man, but it's not rest for God. Like, I just remind you of that. Sabbath is not rest for God. Like, you know, on the Sabbath, the sun comes up. On the Sabbath, he still sustains the universe by the power of his word. On the Sabbath, the rain still falls on the just and the unjust. I mean, God is working on behalf of his creation on the Sabbath. And so Jesus says, my father is working and I too am working. And in the eyes of the religious leaders, this statement was a move from the crime of sacrilege sacrilege for the things you do on the Sabbath, breaking the law, to escalate further to the crime of blasphemy. He wasn't just speaking, Jesus no longer was just speaking sacrilege about the Sabbath. He was doing so with regards to God. And John tells us that he was making himself equal with God and that's blasphemy. And, and you know, I just think about this, like we read this in our modern Western thinking, we go, ah, big deal. We call God Father all the time. Like what's the problem here? But we have to understand as they understood in their culture and in in their religious thinking. They instantly changed their charges against Jesus when Jesus said, my father. When he called God my father, they said, whoa, whoa, whoa. This guy's not just guilty of sacrilege. He's, He's guilty of blasphemy. He's blasphemed the name of God by calling God my father. In their minds, that was a total assertion. Jesus was asserting equality with God. And we know that's exactly what he was doing. And they got it. When he spoke, they understood his words to mean that he he was claiming God. In the original language, the verbiage and everything that's going on, Jesus is actually expressing and claiming God as his father in a unique sense. Not just like my father as in our father. It's like, no, my father. He's my father in a unique sense in which he is not your father. In the sense that it's, it's like our relationship's private and it's separate. And I belong to him and he belongs to me. And, and so Jesus was, was claiming God as his, as his father in a way that no one else could. Which meant this. 
he, he was harmonizing his nature and his character and his personality and his actions with the actions of God. He was saying, I'm, I'm God. I'm God, making himself equal with God. Assuming the rights and the authority of deity by calling God his own father. And they got it. And they hated him for it. Not only was he trampling their traditions, but he was calling God his father, making himself equal with God. And John wants us to know, here's the thing. This is why the official persecution began against Jesus. This gospel is going to begin to escalate now. There's going to be an escalation in the persecution against Jesus and the plot to kill him. This is why they had to kill him. They had to nail him to a cross. And in one sense, they're right. You know, we kind of don't give these guys credit for that sometimes. Like, in one sense, they're right. Like, it was blasphemy to assert yourself to be God is blasphemy unless, unless you are God. Then it's not blasphemy. Then, then, then and, you know, we say this about Jesus. Like, look, here's the truth about Jesus. Either he's lying He's nuts, he's lunatic, he's crazy, or he is who he claimed to be. Those are, there's no other options. And so for his assertion, to claim to be God, the leadership of Israel determined, we have to kill this man. And this is where we come to this text. Because, well, look at verse 18. It says, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. To me, this is why this text is amazing because when John tells us this, this is what Jesus did. He launched into a sermon. We just read it. I don't know where it happened. Or like, I, I just like assumed the man that's been an invalid for 38 years, it's all happened. They've ended up on the Temple Mount and Jesus is there somewhere in the courtyards of the temple when they question him, what are you doing with regards to the Sabbath? You're a Sabbath breaker. And Jesus says, oh, God's my father. I'm not breaking the Sabbath. God works on the Sabbath. And they said, we got to kill this guy. And Jesus launches into this sermon that we read. And the text is incredible. You ever had people tell you Jesus never claimed to be God? You ever had people tell you that? I've had people tell me that in conversations. They're like, well, you read it. He doesn't, he never, he never claimed to be God. And um, that, you know, and I would just say this, anyone who makes that statement does not know the Bible <laughs> as much as they would assert to. In John 5, Jesus launches into a sermon to further, you know, just assert his claim to have the authority of God, to share in the nature of God, and to defend that he is who he claimed to be. And church, I would just tell you this, like, uh, it's important that we recognize in our culture and in the day in which we live and the false gospels which are being preached that any individual, any church, any group, any pastor, any teacher that seeks to lower our view of Jesus is teaching false doctrine. They are a false teacher. We do not lower the view of Jesus. Jesus claimed to be God, and he is. We're going to see this in this text. You know, Paul actually said this about Jesus, that he said that, that God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, 
Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is God to the glory of God the Father. Is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is Lord. He's Lord. And here's the amazing thing about that. Jesus loves you. His heart beats for you. He wants to know you. And when we say Jesus is Lord and we say that, that Jesus loves you, the amazing thing about that is this, is that means this. You can trust Jesus. You can trust Jesus. Jesus is worthy of your trust. You know, give your life to him. Surrender to him. See, Jesus, I give you, you're worthy. I trust, I believe that you are who you claim to be. And I trust you, you're worthy of my trust. And Jesus, you know, as we consider this text, he, he knew that those religious leaders knew that he was, he was claiming to be equal with God. You know, I just think this. Had there been a misunderstanding? It's like, oh, okay, we just crossed wires here as I'm like doing this. He would have tried to clear it up. You ever been in a situation where it's like a misunderstanding happens between you and someone else? I like tend to do that once in a while, more often than I would like, where there's a misunderstanding. And what do you do? It's like you said something you shouldn't have said, you did something you shouldn't have done, or something you, you, you said or, or did was misinterpreted. What do you do? You, you, you go clear it up. You go and you straighten out the situation. Oh, no, no, no. I think you're misunderstanding what I said. Oh, no. I, I think you're misunderstanding what I meant there when I did that. You know, there's a time in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 14, that Paul and Barnabas had gone to the city of Lystra and they were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they saw an invalid, a man who was a cripple, and they saw that that man had faith and they laid hands on him and the Lord healed him and he got up and he walked. And the book of Acts tells us that in the city of Lystra, these people went, holy smokes, we've never seen anything like this. And so they did this in their, in their native tongue. They began to proclaim their belief that Barnabas was Zeus and Paul was Hermes. They said, these are, the gods have come down among us. This is incredible. Look, they've healed this man. The gods have come among us. You know what Paul and Barnabas did? They tore their clothes. They ran into the crowd. They said, touch us and see. We're men like you, and, like you are. We're not gods. We're not gods. We've only come to declare to you the truth about the living God and his son, Jesus Christ. We've come to proclaim to you the gospel. We're not gods. God enabled us to do this. Tearing their clothes, running into the crowd, making it clear. Well, the Pharisees questioned Jesus. I'll tell you what, Jesus didn't tear his clothes and run into the crowd and say, I'm just a man, I'm just a man. Jesus launched into a sermon that we read here. He said, let's just make sure you don't miss this and that anyone misses this because I'm not fooling around when I call God my father because I'm God. That's what you do in a misunderstanding, you know. You think you, you clear it up. That's all Jesus had to do. He had to clear, just clear it up, but he didn't do that. Instead, here's what he did. He launched in this sermon. So I, I want to just pull a few, a few points this morning out of, out of this sermon, and they're going to come up on the screen. The first one is this, that Jesus claimed to be equal with God. I'm going to read for you verse 19 again here through to 23. So Jesus said to them, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. I like that line. So that you may marvel. Verse 21. For as the father raises the dead and gives life to them, so also the son gives life to whom he will. For the father judges no one, but has given judgment to the son that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Look, Jesus, as he made himself equal with God, claimed, Jesus claimed to be one with the father in his works, in the things that he did. Jesus claimed that he was like, I don't know, I was thinking about this, I was, I was in a conversation this week, I, I'm like, I can't find the right word to express this, so I'm just gonna rattle off a bunch of words. It's like Jesus claimed that he was like animated by the Father, or that he was inspired, that his unction came from the Father, that the motive force of his life was the Father's will, and he says, I do nothing on my own. Which is interesting because if Jesus heals a man on a Sabbath and that was sin, what the Pharisees were actually accusing, they weren't just accusing Jesus of sin, they were accusing the Father of committing sin. Because Jesus said, I, I, I don't do anything unless the Father tells me to do it. You're going to have to blame the Father if you're, if you're blaming me because I'm just doing what the Father told me to do. And to me, that's amazing to go, wow, Jesus was totally dependent on the Father. The scripture tells us he laid aside his own glory and as was prophesied about him in the Psalms, he came and he said, behold, I have come to do your will. Father, I'm not gonna do anything unless you give the directive. You know, we, we read about the temptation of Jesus when he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and Satan came to him and Satan tempted him and he said, use, use what you have. Use your divine attributes. Use your power. Meet your own needs. Satisfy your desires. You have the authority and the power to do it. Go ahead and do it. And Jesus refused because he was like, he had laid aside his glory and his power. He was not going to act independently of the Father. He was totally dependent on the Father and he was totally dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. It's hard for us to imagine that. So go, wow, fully God, fully man. And yet, he's in total dependence upon the Father and the Holy Spirit. And here's what happened. As Jesus surrendered to the Father in dependence, the Father showed the Son the works that he was to do and the Father enabled him by the power of the Spirit to do it. To me, that's amazing. And Jesus said, if you remain in me, he, oh, no, I got the wrong verse. It's pulling it out of the top of my head as I was thinking here. He, 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 said, he said this, he said, uh, if you believe my word and do it, um, I will show myself to, I will love you and I will show myself to you and the Father will love you and show himself to you. What he's saying is that if you willingly follow God, God wants to do this for you, church. This is what I want to encourage you in this morning. 
The Father desires to show you His will and He desires to give you power to do His will. And Jesus is the, the man, the Son of God, who lived perfectly in harmony with the Father in that relationship. He set aside His glory and He said, Father, here I am. I desire to do your will. I love that because, um, you know, often in church circles and Christian circles, we hear people ask this question, God, what's your will for my life? What's your will for my life? And I want to tell you, in your walk with Jesus, that's the wrong question. This is important because we ask this. God, what's your will for my life? What do you want me to do? Like, what's your will? That's the wrong question. And if you ask the wrong question, what happens is this, you get the wrong answer. Here's the right question that you should ask the Lord. Father, what is your will? Now, what's your will for my life? What is your will? And then when you discover God's will, what you do is this, is you move your life. You begin to align your life with the Father's will. Now, what's your will for my life? It's not him moving and going, oh yeah, Matt, let me come over here and drag. It's like, no, no. This is my will. Now you willingly move over here and join me in my purposes. That's what Jesus did. He surrendered. He was willing. Father, here I, I, I'm here. I'm here to do your will. Verse 20 says, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he is doing and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. So that you may marvel. My family, we went over uh, across the pond yesterday to North Vancouver because we were going to the movie, Marvel Endgame. And uh, we have some fans in our house, not me. I'm like, I get dragged along to these things. And, um, and so Lisa had pre-bought tickets. I don't know if you know this about this movie. This, this is big, okay? If you're a teenager, this movie's important. And so Lisa had pre-bought tickets a month ago, and so we went into the city. Yesterday was opening day for the movie. We thought, we'll go in as a family and make a whole event out of it. And so we, uh, we found out, though, when we got to the movie that our tickets were no good because my wife had bought uh, VIP tickets into the 19-plus seating by accident, and the kids couldn't get in. And this, this movie's, like, sold out, man, for, like, I don't know, like... So anyways, they gave us a refund and we left with dis some disappointed people. And uh, yeah, oh, parents, eh? Parents, what, we're failures, you know? <laughs> Jesus says this, I'm gonna show you greater things and you are going to marvel. I love that. I love that. He basically says to these guys, look at, you know, you're bugged about the things I'm saying and the things I'm doing you haven't seen anything yet. You haven't seen anything yet. The things that I'm going to do, you're going to marvel at them. He's hinting at the things that are yet to come. And I think verse 21 hints to what Jesus is speaking of. He says this, I am going to raise the dead. You marvel at what I just said? Let me tell you something incredible. I'm going to raise the dead. I'm going to raise the dead. Jesus claimed that he could give life. Look at verse 21. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so the son gives life to whom he will. You know, as far as the gospels were concerned, in John's gospel, he's yet, Jesus yet to raise anybody. Just coming to Jerusalem really for the first time for this conflict and things to get rolling. 
And Jesus claimed that he had the power to raise the dead and, and that too was blasphemous in their culture. And in, other, in their understanding, they knew this, that only God had the authority and the power to judge and to raise the dead and to call forth the dead in the resurrection. Jews rightly believe that. But Jesus claimed that he had that power and he claimed that he could demonstrate it. That he could prove it. And, and we know his power to raise the dead just wasn't you know, a reference to those who are physically dead. Jesus raises those who are spiritually dead. We were once dead in our sins. And we were born again. We were raised to life. We experienced a, a spiritual resurrection. And so it's, it, it, it's awesome. So here's the second thing I want you to catch in, in this part is Jesus claimed. Uh, well, it's up there already. Jesus claimed to be equal with the Father in executing judgment. Verse 22, for the father judges no one but has given all judgment to the son that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Look, Jesus claimed to be the judge of all men. Abraham, in Genesis chapter 18, when Sodom and Gomorrah was about to be judged, Abraham was praying to the Lord and he was asking for mercy and he was negotiating with the Lord. You know, what if there's... 50 righteous. What if there's 40 righteous? What if there's 30 righteous? And you know, Abraham's just praying and negotiating with the Lord. And he says to Yahweh, Jehovah, he says, I know that you're the judge of the whole earth. Abraham declared that. The father of the Jewish people declared, I know that you, Jehovah, are the judge of all men. That the judgment belongs to you. You will judge the earth. And Jesus said this, he told them, all judgment has been given to me. That's like a clear claim to deity right there. The third thing Jesus claimed in this is this, is that he claimed to be worthy of equal honor with the Father. Jesus said, said if you don't honor me, you don't honor the Father. To me, that's just like so straight up. It's like, wow, you can't, you can't get your way out of that. You know, and I would just say this, look, religious people who say that they worship God, but then who deny the deity of Jesus, they're not honoring the Father. You can't claim to have the Son if you don't honor the Father. Apart from Jesus Christ, we cannot know or serve the Father. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this is a great verse, you know, it just... When somebody comes knocking on your door or you get in a conversation with some cult or some, some group that claim that Jesus is a created being, that Jesus is, that the Trinity is not real, it's not proper doctrine or whatever it is. Someone who says that Jesus is less than the Father. Look at Jesus said this. You don't have the Father if you don't honor the Son. Straight up. And it's interesting that three times in this text, Jesus begins with what he's about to say by saying, truly, truly, I say to you. In the Hebrew, it's this, amen, amen, I say to you. So be it, so be it, I say to you. It's like, you know, pay attention to what I'm about to say because this is really important. So here's this, the second thing Jesus declared as he gave, gave these truths. Jesus claimed to have authority to raise the dead. Check out the next slide. He claimed to have authority to raise the dead. Look at verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, amen, amen, I say to you, 
Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he has passed, passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, is now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of the dead. Jesus claimed to have authority to raise the dead, and it's interesting, in this passage, he speaks about four resurrections, four of them. The first one is this, Jesus claimed that he had the authority to resurrect lost sinners to eternal life. How are lost sinners raised from the dead? Let's say this, by hearing the word of God, by hearing the gospel preached. Anytime Jesus raised the dead, we're going to see this as we continue in the book of John, it happened by his word. Young man, in the village of Nain, Jesus said, young man, I say to you, get up. Man got up. <laughs> Little girl, in the Galilee, little girl, took her by the hand. Little girl, I say to you, arise. She was raised from the dead. Lazarus tomb, roll that stone away. Lazarus, come forth. The, the dead were raised by the power of his word. So Jesus has the authority to raise the spiritually dead by the power of his word. We know that. that, that the, the book of Romans tells us that that. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and that faith is born of the word of God and that's how we are saved, through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus also claimed that he had the power to be raised from the dead. Look again at verse 26. It says, For as the Father has life in himself, so also he has granted the Son. He has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Jesus declared this. He said, I have the power to lay my life down and I have the power to take my life up again. No one takes my life from me. I willingly lay it down and I'll raise it up again. So he had, the, he had the authority to lay down his own life and to raise up his own life. Jesus also claimed that he would raise believers in what he called the resurrection of life. That's a future resurrection. We know this. When, when believers are raised from the dead, a, resur a resurrection when Jesus comes again. 1 Corinthians 15, we touched down there last Sunday. Easter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 teach us about the resurrection of life. And, you know, it's, sometimes we wonder about that. We go, oh, what does that look like? You know, what about my relatives that like got cremated? What if, I, what if they got cremated and I took their ashes and spread them on Bonnybrook Beach? The ocean rolled in there. How can they be raised from the dead? Look, a, a resurrection, the resurrection of life is not, it's not a, a reconstruction of old Matt, of old whoever you are out there. I'm just going to start picking on you out there. I decided not to. It's, it's not a reconstruction. The resurrection is a new body that's suited for eternity. It's going to be similar. There's going to be things about it that look the same. But the, but the resurrection body is a body that's suited to be in the presence of God. And... And is eternal. 
And the resurrection of life will take place when Jesus Christ returns. The scripture tells us that when Christ returns, there'll be a sound. The dead in Christ will be raised to life. So Jesus said, I have the power for the resurrection of life. He also said this. He claimed that he would raise the lost in the resurrection of judgment. This resurrection involves those who don't know Jesus, those who are lost in sin. And it, and it takes place, Revelation chapter 20 tells us that this resurrection will take place before Jesus ushers in the new heavens and the new earth. Those who are lost will be resurrected. And what Jesus is declaring is that, that the Father has given judgment into the hands of the Son. Believers will be given resurrection bodies so that they're, they're fit for eternity, that we might reign with Christ and be with him in heaven. The lost will be given resurrection bodies, but they will not be glorified bodies. They'll be raised to life so that, they'll be, so that God can judge them. The great white throne judgment. That they might be, be judged and, and suffer punishment in those bodies. Bodies that were used for sin will suffer the consequences of sin. And so it's incredible here when we read this and we think about Jesus and his power to raise to life. He can raise the spiritually dead. He can raise himself. He's going to raise believers to life. He's going to raise unbelievers to, to judgment. And you know, in verse 27, you'll see this, that John actually calls, that Jesus calls himself both son of God and son of man. That title, son of man, is a clear messianic claim. He's taking it from the book of Daniel. They knew that the title son of man was a messianic claim. And it's interesting, Jesus says, I am going to judge on the basis of this fact. I am the son of man. He's going to judge not as the son of God, but he's going to judge as the son of man. Which is for this reason, see, you know, we, we go, well, how can, judge, how can God judge me? He doesn't know what my life's like. He doesn't know what I've experienced. He doesn't know my struggles. He doesn't know what I've gone through. But here's the solution. God sent his one and only son. And his son, the son of man, experienced our struggles with temptation and battles and pain and loss, and hurt, and suffering, and the son of man, because he's experienced what you and I have experienced, has the right to judge. Judgment is committed to him. And so Jesus, he claimed to be equal with God. He claimed to have the authority to raise the dead. Jesus claimed that there were, and then he also did this, he claimed that there were witnesses who could support his deity. Verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. My judgment is just. Because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I love that. Jesus, I can do nothing on my own. I'm seeking the will of him who sent me. Verse 31. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I received is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He, John, was a burning and shining lamp and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. 
And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Jesus gives a number of witnesses to his testimony to be deity. The first one he calls is John, John the Baptist. We know this about John, that John was the forerunner to the Messiah. John pointed to Jesus and he, he called Jesus Lord. He said, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John called Jesus the Son of God. And Jesus says about him, he's like, he was a lamp. He, he shone. He brought light into the darkness and he was pointing to me. The second thing Jesus points to that gives testimony to his claims is the things that he did. He says, my works. And as we've seen throughout John's gospel, John selected specific signs for, for those of us who read his gospel so that we would see that Jesus is the son of God and that we would believe in him and that by believing in him, we would experience life through his name. You know, Nicodemus in John chapter three said this about Jesus. He came to Jesus and he said, I know you're from God because no one can do the things that you're doing unless they come from God. You think about other characters in scripture, I think of like Moses or Elijah, the miracles that they did and amazing. Like Moses performed incredible miracles. Elijah performed incredible miracles, but neither of them claimed to be God. And so Jesus says, my works prove my claim. The third witness he called was the father. You know, three times during the ministry of Jesus, the father's voice was heard from heaven. Remember at the baptism of Jesus? He came up out of the water. The spirit of God descended upon him in the form of a dove. And there was a voice from heaven that said, this is my beloved son. With him, I am well pleased. We're at the story of the transfiguration. Peter, and James, and John are up on the mount with Jesus. And Moses and Elijah appear. And Peter's running his mouth like usual. And a, a voice comes from heaven. The voice of the Father says, this is my son. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And then... We're going to see this when we get to John chapter 12. We often miss this in scripture. There was a voice from heaven at the triumphal entry. When Jesus rode on that Palm Sunday into Jerusalem and he came into uh, the temple grounds, he, he prayed and he said, Father, glorify your name. And a voice was heard from heaven. John chapter 12 verse 28 tells us that the Father said, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Three times the Father spoke right from heaven. giving witness to the person of Jesus. The fourth thing that Jesus claimed gave witness to him was the scriptures. The scriptures, you know that it's, that it's inconsistent to claim to study the Bible and then yet to reject Jesus. That's like, it doesn't add up. You cannot claim to study the scriptures and then reject Jesus. Because cover to cover, this book has, look, if we were to boil this book down to one, there's one theology, Jesus. It's about Jesus, cover to cover. He's hidden in there everywhere. You, 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 you got to learn to look for him. And 
It's inconsistent to study the Bible and to reject Jesus. And the Jewish scribes thought that, that um, they knew the Bible. They thought they knew the word, but they did not know the word. They knew the word, but they did not know the living word. And Jesus actually claims that his word is on equal plane with the scriptures. Let's read through here to the end of the chapter. Verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from God, only from God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. He wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? I love verse 39 there where he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but they bear witness about me. The Greek word translated search for us into English search means this, to track a scent. It's like this, think of a lion on the scent of an injured animal. You know that animal's leaving a trace of blood as they go and the lion is stalking, he's searching out that prey. Or think of a bloodhound sniffing out whatever they're hunting. That's the term that's used for studying the scriptures. Jesus says this, this is the way you're to study the scripture. Follow the scent of blood. Sniff out the scent of Jesus. Follow the thread of the cross, that scarlet thread of the cross. Look for Jesus. Genesis to Revelation. Sniff him out. Hunt him out. Search him out. Look for Jesus. And so as Jesus is teaching these guys, he, he, he seems to just, well, he does, he brings this judgment against these people Leaders, that they refuse to receive him, refuse to come to him, that they, re they refuse to receive the testimony of scripture. You know, you search the scripture doctrinally, but you've missed the entire point because you missed me. He, he, he said they fail, failed to have love for God. God was outside of their affections when they rejected Jesus. You know, if there's, if there's a proof that people don't love God, it's this that they're not interested in his son. Do you know that that's proof that people do not love God if they're not interested in Jesus? I, I, I had a conversation with someone recently where I was sharing the gospel with them and I, we were just, we were just, we were yapping. I asked that question, hey, like if you stood before the Lord and he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say to him? And he said, well, I'm a good person, man. Like, I love people. He told me that. He said, I love, I love people. You know, I love people. He said, I, I go to bed at night and I think about my wife and my children and I love them so much. 
In fact, I love them so much, I don't know what I would do if I got up in the morning and I didn't have them. And I feel like that about all people. Like he went off on this rant to me about his love for people and it was, it was beautiful. I, I, I appreciated his heart. But do you know that the scripture says that to love people is the second greatest command? It's the second. What's the first? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind. We have to love God first. And God so loved us that he did what? He gave his son. And so if I don't love his son, I'm not loving him. Does that make sense? And so failure to, to love God, failure to love Jesus is a failure to love God. It doesn't equate to say I love people, but I don't know who God is. Then you don't then you're not saved. The other thing Jesus, the other judgment he brought against these leaders was this, is that he said, you desire glory from men. That's your problem. You're more concerned about your reputation. You're more concerned about what people think about you are than you are concerned about what God thinks of you. And as long as you're more concerned about the praise of men than you are the honor of God, then you're never going to believe in Jesus. You have to humble yourself. So Jesus said that. You, you desire glory from men. And then the, the next thing he said is this. is He said, and, and, and you falsely trust Moses. I think that was like intellectual pride. It's like, well, we know. We know what Moses said. We know the law. We like know stuff. Jesus is like, so what? <laughs> so, so what? You've got an intellectual pride. Moses wrote about me. The last thing Moses wrote was about me. He told the people as they were going in the land. Now a prophet's going to come in a pattern like me and he's going to be greater than me. Listen to him. You say you believe in Moses, but you don't really believe in Moses because you don't do what he's saying either. It's an incredible text and I want to point you just back to verse 34. Because Jesus shares to me in verse 34 his motivation for saying all of the things that he was saying. He says this. It's going to come up on the screen. Pop it up on the screen there, Calvin. Next one. I say these things that you may be saved. Wow. So he's not saying it for his own glory. Not saying it to, to pump his own tires. He's saying it so that they could be saved. Jesus declares these things to you and I. We read the word of God. It's, we learn these things so that we can be saved. And you know, when it comes to the religious teachers and the establishment to whom Jesus was teaching, it came down to this. Their own will. Their own stubborn pride. And the truth was they had all the information, but they were not willing. They were not willing. Look at Jesus. Oh, he's giving away my points. Jesus, it's okay, buddy. You can go back there. I'm just teasing. I say these things that you may be saved. Was Jesus willing that the Pharisees be saved? Yes. Is Jesus willing that all men be saved? Yes. His word tells us that he desires that no one 
should be without salvation. Jesus is willing to save. He's done everything. There's no such thing as limited atonement. I'm going to stand up here and say it. There's no limit to the work of the cross. There is no limit to the work of the cross. The cross is for all. The question is this. Are you willing to surrender to the one who gave all for you? That's the question. And that is why people are lost. Not not because they don't get the chance. Not because God hasn't chosen them. Not because there isn't enough evidence. But because they are not willing to come to Jesus that they might have life. He said, I say these things to you so that you can be saved. And I... It's just been so challenged by the word of God to surrender my will to Jesus. To say, Jesus, I surrender. I surrender. I surrender. Not my will. Thy will be done. Salvation is a matter of your will. Following Jesus, church, is a matter of your will. God desires to do lots of things in our life. God desires to show himself to us and reveal his love to us. But the question is, Are we willing? That's for the the unsaved and for the saved. And so I want to leave you just with this challenge this morning. Tell the Lord, Lord, I'm willing. I don't even know what that means, Lord, but I am willing. I desire to do your will because I know you're worthy of my trust. You are who you claim to be. I'm willing. I'm willing, Jesus. I mean, I'm like battling with controlling my thoughts. I'm battling with this area of sin. I'm battling in this relationship. I like struggle with this. I'm battling this. I don't know. Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing. Come and work in me. Come and change me. You know, it's interesting that the will of Jesus was, it wasn't wrestled to the ground, but it was wrestled to the ground for us as he agonized in the garden of Gethsemane. And he said, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. And then he went to the cross. You know, if you're going to surrender your will to Jesus, the path goes through the garden of Gethsemane to the cross. But the beauty of that is this, is that the fruit of surrender is this. God will raise you from the dead. When you surrender your will to Jesus Christ, you will experience a resurrection from the dead. Spiritually, Jesus talked about it, John 5, 24. They were dead, but now they're alive. Spiritually happens. It will physically happen. God desires to do that, but seed cannot sprout unless it dies. Father, I'm willing. Don't even know what it means, but I trust you. Because of who you claim to be. You're the son of God. The son of man. You are God Jesus. And I surrender my will to you. Let's pray. Would you stand with me?